Choose podcasts. Choose a partner. Choose a microphone. Choose a subject. Choose a name. Haven't seen it. Choose to ask people to like and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Choose to tell people and follow it on social media at SeenItPod. Choose to watch a train spotted as this week's film. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got heroin? Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevene. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today that is both of us. Correct, yeah. Tommy? Yeah, both of us. Uh, so kind of funny way how we got to this movie tonight, but uh, how we're covering it. But, you know, good movie. So I'm glad we did. <laughs> yeah, we were hanging out last night and we were playing a game of movie roulette. And Train Spotting was the movie that won. And we were originally going to cover Unforgiven this week. And due to time constraints, we realized that a two and a half hour Western in under 24 hours might just be a hair too much to cover. And it wasn't exactly the vibe hanging out for our friends. Have we mentioned what movie roulette is yet on the pod? So movie roulette is the best way to. If you need a democratic system with your friends, right? It's the best way to... Let's let's break it down real quick. I think the easy way to do it, just to break it down, you pick a category of movie, everyone comes up with three examples of that category, and you put down your examples, and uh, you get one round, which is vetoes, and then after that, you put all the remainders that survived into a bag. You take out each movie one by one and vote them one by one until one's remaining. Uh, One this night was train spotted so now here we're covering it here on the pod so add to it if you're ever in a tie so if you have four people and you you, you get like what eight movies or so right yeah if, you, if it's a tiebreaker you do a rock paper scissors shoot the person who is holding up that specific movie is representing their movies no bias no personal interest in it you can get some very intense rock paper scissors matches i think we've gotten <laughs> ones that have gone like get five. some ties over and over again like we've gotten ones that have gone five or six it's the best way to decide to watch movies with your friends. It landed on yep. train spotting yesterday. Our you category can... was movies with a breakfast scene. So you put down um, Unforgiven because he was trying to do it for the pod and me being the dick I can be just immediately veto that. I was like, fuck this movie. <laughs> Next week, we covered it. <laughs> now, you know, Tommy just doesn't have my back. But anyway, this is train spotting. What's on the menu this evening, sir? Four friends are about to take on the riskiest scam in a lifetime of yeah. risky scams. This is the movie critics call willfully outrageous and massively entertaining. Yeah. Train Spotting, rated R, now playing select cities. Train Spotting, the classic 1996 film from Danny Boyle, starring Ewan McGregor as Renton, aka the worst person you've ever met. The film revolves around the tragedy of drug addiction and how the environment you grow up in can define your life. The film ends with Ewan McGregor getting kidnapped by George Lucas and being forcibly dragged onto the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> I think he wasn't even on the Millennium Falcon in those movies. Oh, sh- no. T- <laughs> Fuck your bit. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in 1996, Tommy, that was the only plane we knew. X-Wings, I guess. 
TIE fighters. Yeah, but that's a single, like, that would just be George Lucas flying an X-Wing, right? Like, he needs to be driving, like, a plane that has a hatch down, and, like, Imperial Starship just doesn't have the same ring as a Millennium Falcon. You know what I mean, Tommy? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get, I get, your, I get your bit process. And then Obi Wan does actually end up on the Millennium Falcon in the original Star Wars. Did you know yeah, that? Yeah, that's not Guinness. That's not Guinness. So after after Unforgiven veto last night, and now this, Tommy, you're really, <laughs> you're really testing your patience. <laughs> you're pushing my your luck. That's all I'm gonna say. You're you're pushing my buttons, my friend. So. <laughs> This is train spotting. I we I went in completely blind, other than knowing it was a heroin movie. Yeah, I knew that it was like it had a good soundtrack that people like really cared about heroin. <laughs> That's it. What first impressions? What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I thought it was great. I think it's a lightning in a bottle movie, like the perfect cast at the perfect age, and you have the right youthful director, Danny Boyle at the time, like one of his earlier films. To kind of bring this like manic pacing and energy to a movie about drugs that it has a lot of dark humor in it and it can be genuinely funny, but does not hold back the punches and the reality of 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 being addicted to heroin. What what I did like about the film's tone was that like um, you always hear this is a movie I haven't seen, but like Requiem for a Dream, for example. I've seen Requiem for a Dream. It's and you're not gonna watch it again, right? That's why I always hear it's like you're never gonna watch it again. <laughs> you watch it's a movie you watch once and you go, "Wow, that was fantastic!" I wanted to kill myself. I'm never watching this movie again. <laughs> that exactly seems like the vibe I always hear about that movie. So that's why I've avoided it for years and years. Uh, no, we're not gonna cover it on the podcast uh, unless we're uh, you know maybe we will. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Never say no. Speak. It's a great I movie. Guess. Okay, okay. Well, uh, you know. Heroin month or something. <laughs> Train spine though has a feel like I feel like I could watch this over and over again because as much as I get, it does like feel like you know the harsh realities of the life too. They still have like movie scenes that are just like people hanging out, kind of you know. In some ways, it's a hangout. I was watching something where Danny Boyle said that you know everybody refers to Renton as the main character, but in the book and in his mind, he felt it was more of an ensemble movie rather than like specifically focused on Renton, but Renton's going to be the main character because he's the voiceover. He's like, he's the narrator of the story. It's one of those movies where every turn you get, you just want them to do like whatever you think they should do. They don't do. It's, it's kind of like watching a train wreck happen where you're just like, Oh, come on. You're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. Like, uh, the king, you just like not like crawl through a toilet bowl of shit. <laughs> Yeah, that was in the first 10 minutes, and Tommy and I were eating food, and I had to put the food down. Tommy didn't, because he's a savage. He's just a absolute yeah, savage. You were just Tim, eating Tim, your burger, man, without Tim, any remorse. Tim was, like covering, Tim was, like, covering his eyes from the screen, and meanwhile, like, I'm still taking a bite of my fucking McDonald's burger. Just like, oh, whatever, I've seen worse. <laughs> so, like, but in the first 10 minutes of the movie, Renton is trying to quit heroin. And he takes these, they're like heroin anal repositories, right? They're not, it's just like a different kind of opioid. It's not that, but you shove it up your butt. And one of the side effects of heroin is constipation. And when the heroin is out of your system and you do have to go, this movie describes it as a, uh, there's there's a good amount of poop in this movie. Thank God for the actors, though. Apparently um, on set, the, the 
bathroom was just chocolate. It was just chocolate instead of poop. That's yeah. And, right oh, there, so. yeah. Of course. I mean, of course. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah. I don't think you and McGregor is shoving his face in feces. That's why I was able to eat my uh, McDonald's burger while I was watching this thing. Because I was like, I know movie magic. <laughs> well, I'll say this to the for the movie's beginning, and we're we're cover the beginning because I think the beginning is a very iconic scene like in the first two minutes of it man you see these people shooting up and it's like yeah. okay they're not gonna hold back on what this is they're not like i think of ed wood as a movie that kind of like have you ever seen ed wood uh i have not I'll, not all the way through it's my favorite tim burton movie ed wood and bella lugosi who played famously played dracula at the end of his life and ed wood was famously made plan nine from outer space bella lugosi was a was a heroin addict at that point in his life mm-hmm. and like the the darkness kind of creeps in in that movie, but it's not really there. Where this movie, in the first two minutes, it's telling you like you're gonna see some fucked up shit, without even yeah. a question of a doubt. I knew at the time that it kind of created controversy. I was giggling to myself when I watched that TV spot, and it's like a a, a drug heist. Go, it's like. That's not what this movie is about. If you went in thinking this is a 90 minute movie about setting up a drug heist, you are in for a, you are in well, for a rough it's rough night. It's funny it's funny like the controversy, like everything that came out from it, that like uh you would see uh like Bob Dole when he was running for president, he would like talk about how this film glorifies heroin use and all this, and then he later admitted, like, hey, I've never seen the movie. And so you'd have that over and over again, where it'd be like uh, on BBC, they'd have like a panel full of people be like, is this movie wrong for children? And then the only person who was saying no was a nun who never saw the movie. So it's just like, at least know what the content is before you start spewing all this bullshit about it. It's using really clever and creative filmmaking to show you how powerful that drug is and giving you an idea of what the film is. But it, like when they're on heroin, it's never a good like there's no good heroin experience in this movie. No. Well, I maybe in the beginning of the opening montage where it's kind of like that, where it's just kind of just within like just the opening setup, like whimsy, just kind of the characters and showing what their life is and just maybe in that, but even then it looks just kind of grungy and just like fucking just destitute. <laughs> the scenes they like the settings. There are all these disgusting, run-down apartments that you would never want to even step foot into. Yeah. It is not showing this in a positive light. It is showing this... Yeah, no, not at all. If there's one thing I really want to mention about this movie that really needs a shout-out is the set design, especially uh, with the character of Tommy. Yeah, where Tommy, in the beginning of the movie, he's the straight-and-narrow guy, or he's not doing any drugs. And you see his apartment, it's very clean and very bright and like, you know, well kept together like a normal person. And once he goes through his whole downward spiral and then you see his apartment like months later or maybe in a month later after he tried heroin, like it's just like a fucking pigsty immediately, just like run down and just it shows you a lot just for the set. <laughs> well, Tommy was the only one that had a girlfriend and they had a they had a sex tape that Renton, you and McGregor's character flips the tape on from a, a like a top 100 soccer's plays playlist and when uh Tommy and his girlfriend are going at it and she's like put on the tape he can't find the tape and he's like well did i return it to the video store where it's like dude your friend stole it but he's so stupid he doesn't realize that 
And after she breaks up with him and won't get back together with him, he's just like, fuck it. Like, why can't I try heroin? And it he's the only one out of this crew that dies because of it. Yeah. It really, in some ways, is almost like a, he's not a full audience surrogate. Because I guess, you know, McGregor in some ways is that, but it's just, you know, it just shows you how quickly this shit can just fuck up your life. It, it's a weird kind of narrative because Ewan McGregor is you, the audience surrogate, but this movie's charm and style really hides the fact that he's a giant piece of shit. And I mean, he says it at the end of the movie, too. He's like, I am not a good person. He makes a lot of decisions that make you want to crawl out of your skin, man. Frankly, the only thing he like, the only good decision he made was moving to London. Yeah, <laughs> at the end of the movie, that's the greatest decision he made. And when he tried to quit heroin um, the first time, or, you know, uh, the future times, I could definitely see Ian McGregor being up there in the tier of characters like Brad Pitt and Fight Club, where it's just like, you're not supposed to idolize the guy. <laughs> you know, like there's so many like movies like that where people like Wolf of Wall Street is one of those ones too, where it's just like, you know, the character, the movie's not condoning this behavior. They're not saying like, oh yeah, like, you know, we, we love this lifestyle right here, right there. And I can see like, if you saw like a 13 year old or something like that, maybe it could be like, I don't even know, man. Like, at least Brad Pitt is, like, like ripped and jacked, and Jor- Jordan Belfort has yachts and money, right? Like, it's very easy to get misconstrued by that. Like, Hugh McGregor's a skinny guy that wears shirts that are too small on him, with a shaved head that disappoints his parents constantly. Yeah. That just shoot, shoots heroin and falls down and goes to sleep. Like, Brenton is not Brenton's not like a good person. Like, like any, I, it's not, it's not, a, it's not like on the first time viewing, and maybe it's because I'm older. Like, one of our friends we were watching this with, who was a little older than us, was like, this was in every college dorm room yeah. in the, in the 90s, early 2000s, where like a movie like Fight Club also was, but that seems to have lingered. Same with like American Psycho, those mm-hmm. kind of movies. I think it's just I think it's just the vibrant pace because this movie is just so much more energetic and spastic and like dreamlike. There's so much creativity in the filmmaking. So much creativity in the needle drops too, where it's just like the Lou Reed um, part where Ian McGregor overdoses and plays the Lou Reed song "Perfect Day," which just encapsulates the moment perfectly. Where it's just like this guy's just so fucking high out of his mind. He doesn't even understand what's happening to him. And just uh, just because this position of him, like just, you know, being in the hospital, you know, adrenaline to fucking survive, live. <laughs> the opening to train spotting is really one of the great needle drops. And you've heard this song twice already. You're about to hear it again, but you need to hear what Ewan is saying because it sets the tone for this movie so perfectly. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a fucking big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact displays and electrical tin openers. (laughs) Choose good health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing fucking junk food into your mouth. 
end of it all, pissing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked up brats that you've spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. It sets the tone perfectly because it's, you know, a lot of movies try to showcase the mundane life, right? Like how when you're involved in, when you get involved into repetition and form habits, it's really mundane and it's really boring and simple and all these things, yada, yada, yada. But he chooses heroin because he's like, why, why choose heroin? Why would I choose life? Like, that's the opposite. And like, part of his quest is kind of realizing why to choose that over heroin. And when they relapse initially back onto heroin, it's, you know, it, it, it takes him to him almost dying from an overdose, which is one of the most like, it's so fucked that entire sequence, man. Like the dream sequence where he's underneath the carpet. Yeah. So basically he had to go to a, he started, they got busted for robbing a store, obviously trying to flip something to get more money for heroin. He has to start going to a methadone cr- clinic and he had a very stressful day. Uh, one of his boys, Spud, who's the boat, he's the sweetest of all of them, right? Like he's yeah. the one, him and Tommy are the two that you can kind of, that you empathize with. Like Spud is the guy that he's a true follower. He'll never be able to get out on his own because he's not. He's he's like a sweetheart at, at heart. Like, you know, he's just like kind of just a little you know, dopey or whatever. But he's dopey <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And just, yeah. you know, and I think this does a good part of, showing that scene in edinburgh at the in the in the 90s like i I mean from what i know my limited knowledge on that is like a lot of people from that territory you know there was a big addiction in the 80s and the 90s with heroin one thing i want to mention about the movie in general um especially with that scene we just played is that how the narration works the voiceover works really well and it really puts you in there um i feel like that can be kind of hit or miss with films sometimes if they have narration like uh one of those cuts of Blade Runner out there where like, you know, here's that's the, the original cut. Yeah. And, and like, that doesn't really work. It, it, it just like uh, takes it kind of out of the movie, but this one, it just feels very natural or just sets you immediately. And especially it helps you have Iggy pop playing, but still just right there, just jumps you into the world. And uh, even when he pops up later in the movie doing voiceover, it still works. It's just almost like a table setting for the scene. Where it's just like, here's what happened here or whatever. Yeah. You know? Well, he, you need the narration because heroin to a mass audience, like heroin usage is so foreign and so shocking and so revolting. You need somebody to explain to you what it does to you. He kind of does it in a true neutral way where it's like, oh, there's a lot of negatives to a fan, but you get a hit of that. It's like nothing else. What's really funny when like looking up stuff about this movie is uh, Ian McGregor was looking up he was very tempted to do like the method actory thing where he's like, what if I tried heroin? You know, how, how can I know what being on heroin's like if I never tried it? You know, this like little actor thing. They apparently, the like Danny Boyle and him met this like drug recovery group called like Calton Athletic. And McGregor, after meeting them, decided it's like this would be hugely disrespectful if I took heroin after meeting these people. It's just like, I know. <laughs> Maybe that's not the best idea for my career. Let's do that. Yeah, he's probably not Obi Wan Kenobi if he took heroin. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that so, I mean that changes the no, trajectory of your life. 
Like it, it yeah. does. I mean, even if you're like, you did it once and you have the mental wherewithal to be like, go to a clinic, be like, I did this. It was thing. I feel like it, this movie makes you think like, if you do it once, man, it's a feeling that you will chase the rest of your life. And like, that's, that was that's what first. Tommy. Yeah. That's Tommy what Tommy did. Weird. And t- Tommy yeah. was, and like, you know, they briefly cover the HIV AIDS and Tommy of course is the only one of them that tests positive for AIDS and like watching his apartment fall apart, man. And like seeing his face blow up dying because there was cat feces in the apartment. It's grim. <laughs> it's really <laughs> grim. Like when people are like, away. yeah, like, like it, and that's where the balance, the total balance comes in. Right. Like it shows you what it's like to be on heroin. Like, you see Ewan McGregor slipping into the floor when he's overdosed. And then his drug dealer is pulling him down the stairs by his ankles, calling a cab to, th- to just drop him off at the thing. He was kind enough to at least put like a 10, 10 pound Euro in the pocket. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little consolation. And right him there. having to, to do the adrenaline. And you know what I was thinking of thinking of two movies where one is a little more I- idealized of heroin quote unquote it doesn't really do it in but like i think of pulp fiction right like when john travolta takes the heroin with like the low bass and like the 60s surfers music right it's a lot more calm and a lot more like you only get that you only get that cut when uma thurman accidentally takes the heroin to her system without realizing what it is yeah, f- funny enough about Pulp Fiction is that apparently this film was marketed in uh, that same way where they took oh, yeah. inspiration from Pulp Fiction. They're like, how can we market this? And this essentially, in some ways, was marketed as almost like a UK Pulp Fiction type thing, right? You can tell the dialogue's so snappy. The dialogue is just snappy. Yeah, I mean, well, it had a budget of 1.5 million pounds, and it international box office draw was 72 million including the 48 million pounds that it made in the uk alone like this is one of the biggest independent like single uk films ever produced so this was uh essentially in some ways kind of like a blank check for um danny boyle right here um his previous movie was shallow grave uh which also had ian mcgregor i've never seen it out have you seen it no that movie apparently was um one of the first british films to recoup its cost at the box office before it went to TV. So uh, Channel 4 funded that film, and then they decided after this that they'll fund whatever like Dane Boyle wants right there. They backed up the project fully, uh, the $1.9 million budget right there. Uh, off the success of South Shaw, great, because basically you made a hit. We want to see what else you have. We want to see what else can be a hit. Yeah, <laughs> this is essentially just like, do whatever you want, Dane Boyle. So that's how he got there. <laughs> It definitely launched Danny Boyle's career. Like he ended up winning for Slumdog Millionaire, which I think I saw around the time, but I don't remember at all. But it has like very similar needle drops too, right? From what I remember. But his I've actually you know, never seen it. Yeah, it's it's fine. We don't have to cover it. But he, you know, he has what 127 hours, 28 days later, which I know you or you're pushing really hard for. That that I'm not even kidding, is like probably like a top five horror movie for me. It's amazing now. You know, I'm not even like construction the market there. It's great, but you know, hopefully one day we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No promises. No pro- No promises. All right, but I mean, tr- I would say Train Spotting is probably his his best movie. He he also did the the better of the Steve Jobs movies with Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Did you ever see that? I haven't seen that either. I mean, to be honest, 
this is I think only my second movie of his I've seen because I've seen Twenty Days Later like a hundred times at this point. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But you know, and I've obviously haven't seen T two Train Spine too. Did you see the Beatles one yesterday? <laughs> no, that movie made me want to jump off a cliff. Yeah, it looks kind of like it looks so cheesy. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's going for that type of thing. I oh guess. yeah, it knew exactly what it was. But like, let like, what do you think of the? I think of like the environment, right? The environment that they grew up in. I've, I've mentioned it in that little bit i wrote at the beginning right he got his boys spud sick boy tommy bigby right they're all like especially bigby he's a real ass like tommy before he takes drugs is the only like one of them that they should be wanting that that renton should want to hang around with well it's also kind of funny it's like why is he hanging out with all these druggies <laughs> i guess he's, tommy because he's stupid because he doesn't yeah. know any better but it's also it's a product these are the people I grew up with. I have yeah. no means to leave here. Where yeah. else am I going to go? And Renton's the one who discovers it after he ODs. And he's like, I'm going to London. He's like, I have to get out of this place. And then, of course, Begbie is wanted for, what, armed robbery or whatever? Begbie, I think, is just a total heat check of a character right here where... He doesn't pop up. I mean, I guess he's in a lot of the movie, but like whenever he's in there, he's dynamite. Oh, one scene of him in the bar, just like throwing the glass and just going like, all right, like we're going to find out who did this. Like we threw the glass right here and just immediately he chooses the scenery kind of it, but in a great way. And he's a so he's a legit he out of all of them. He is like the worst person out of all of them. Like they're all terrible people, but he is. Yeah. And ironically, he's the only one not on heroin. <laughs> Maybe not Spud as much, because I, I think Spud is a little bit limited in what he's capable of. Spud had easily one of the funniest scenes in the movie when he wakes up after a night out at his girlfriend's house and they were supposed to get the old who hang and uh, that didn't happen. And he sleeps in the bed and he uh, the constipation came down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's uh, it, it was no longer there, and it was, and he opens that sheet, and it go in the breakfast room with her parents in there, and it goes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it literally was just like something out of like a gross out comedy where it kind of the lot of humor is not exactly like that, but it's just like holy shit, when that happens. <laughs> well, I think they made a very good, interesting point about how heroin impacts your sex drive when Renton's clean. He goes after Diane. He falls in love immediately across the bar. And then this is their initial introduction. Excuse me, excuse me, I don't mean to ask you, but I was very impressed with the capable and stylish manner which you dealt with that situation. And I was thinking to myself, now this girl's special. Thanks. What's your name? Diane. Where are you going, Diane? I'm going home. What was that? It's where they live. Great. What? Well, I'll come back with you if you like, but, like, I'm no promising anything, you know? Do you find that this approach usually works? Or let me guess, you've never tried it before? In fact, you don't normally approach girls, am I right? The truth is that you're a quiet, sensitive type, but if I'm prepared to take a chance, I might just get to know the inner you. Witty, adventurous, passionate, loving, loyal. Taxi! A little bit crazy, a little bit bad, but he... Don't ask girls, 
wrong boy. Can't got your tongue. Well, I have something. You getting in a nightclub? All right. It, very visual, very stylish, very. It it feels more than anything very nineties. Uh, right there, we're just like the dialogue back and forth, uh, reminiscent of like Tarantino and like that type of style at the time, just very dialogue heavy back and forth, just quickly, just, and the chemistry there is hilarious in that scene and just like how it happens. I watched out Kelly McDonald right there. She got her part uh, when the production crew were handing out flowers across like Glasgow for anyone who was eager to audition. Um, Dane Boyle first laid on, eyes on her with a plain hair doing a corridor surrounded by many glamorous girls he knew immediately she was the one. So she was some random 19 year old and she just got the part right there. So it's almost like an open audition right there. So it's great. She was awesome in this movie. <laughs> and this times parallel with uh, Tommy discovering that the sex tape is missing and Spud flying uh, poop around his girlfriend, well, his then ex girlfriend's uh, <clears throat> yep. living room or, or kitchen. Renton gets kicked out of the bedroom and is like, but you can sleep on the couch, which I found to be odd. If this girl was living with her parents, why would this guy then be able to sleep on the couch? And he wakes up, sits with the parents, grabbing some totes, being like, oh, you her flatmates? And they're, they're getting a chuckle. And then she walks out in a schoolgirl outfit. Add that to the list. Junkie, sleeps with underage girls. You know. Yeah. Your typical... Upstanding citizen. <laughs> yes, he's, he's a remarkable citizen, someone we should all aspire to be. You know, that relationship... I don't want to say it humanizes him, but it shows that like he has other interests outside of heroin. Yeah, just doing drugs. Right. And like when he gets off heroin, he's you know, he's he's got a little he's got a little juice in his legs, you know? He's uh he's looking he's looking he's looking for it. it but it's like these little moments and reminders of just being like when you're off this stuff, like you can do things that you would actually like to do in life. When you do heroin, you just pass out on a bed for 18 hours. You just lie there. <laughs> I can't. I cannot emphasize enough that this movie does not pull the punches back on how disturbing it is. And we haven't really even covered the truly disturbing moments in this movie, have we? Not, not, not even just yet. I mean, yeah, like you said, like I don't think this movie really glamorizes it. Like you know, maybe in the opening scene for. A quick second just like look at these quirky characters but then it just shows you like yeah like this life is not sustainable and they are fucking themselves over daily just like you like killing themselves slowly so we're gonna quickly go through it because it's pretty dark and disgusting but one part of it is when they're in the depth of their heroin addiction and they're at the drug dealer's place was it who was it mikey for or no gavin right he was like the main drug dealer there's a girl that always yeah. hangs, hangs out there and she has a baby and he gets out up from a, a session and she is screaming. And as soon as she she starts screaming, you're like, oh, fuck. you know, you know, because, yeah, you see this baby throughout the movie, just like fucking like crawling around, just like drug filled apartment. And just like there's almost one scene where the baby gets crushed by Ian McGregor. So like you just know that something's, it's not going to end well. Yeah. And it doesn't. We see the baby. You can use your imagination, which was probably honestly the most like stomach curling scene in the movie because like they they don't pull back punches like they they show it. I I gotta admit, uh, as 
you know, we both never saw this movie before. I thought that that scene was combined with the worst toilet in uh, Scotland scene. Because I've heard of those two scenes. I was like, I knew a baby died and I knew there was some like shit filled bar. I thought that it was combined right there. I'm glad it wasn't combined because it would have been just like too goofy. It would have been like a shit covered baby in a fucking bathroom or something. No, it's just, I mean, listen, it just shows you the lengths that addicts go to to score their hits and like they find the baby dead and the mother is like, yeah, I need another hit. And Renton goes, she'll get her hit, but after I get mine first. Like, it's... And fucking... she understands it. It's like, and oh, it's God. fucking twisted. And after he overdoses, he's his parents lock him in his childhood bedroom. Like, they have the lock outside the door. Mm-hmm. And he has to lie there going through the cold turkey and, like, showing Tommy being all fucked up over uh, Spud goes to jail for six months, so he's sitting on the door with his chains on his balls, he, or not his ball, on his legs, like the you know yeah, typical yeah, yeah. jail outfit. And what what's his name? The guy with the mustache, um, Big B, wakes up in the bed. And it's like if you ever do that shit again, I'll kill you. And it's him like screaming paranoia. Then there's the baby on this fucking ceiling that's doing like the exorcist crawling thing. to him. And you don't know if this is in his head or if, if he's like actually screaming like this. Like it's a really, really spooky. And then it cuts flat to him like waking up and his parents being like, son, there's something else you have to go to do. And he had to, he went to the hospital to test himself for AIDS. And that's when we discover that Tommy, Tommy had it. And it's, uh, and like you see Brenton walk up to his apartment and it's like there's graffiti saying like AIDS vulture this way, like, his door is marked with spray paint, right? Like it's disturbing shit, man. Like, and it happened back then. Yeah, it it is it is kind of tragic back then, right? Especially uh, this movie took place like, well, it was. I, I was trying to think of the timeline of this movie. Was this like late eighties, early nineties? Yeah, so it's I, it's vague on the definite. It's it seems like it's supposed to be modern day, right? Yeah, current day. It's all throughout that period. It was you were labeled if you were diagnosed with HIV and cost Tommy his life and yeah. it's it's ups- it was I it was good it was smart of the movie to include the the fall of a character the one that was clean the longest right yeah. like it's just good it's just smart screenwriting because if if it was like one of the other guys like Spud or um what's his name Sick Giant, Boy uh, Sick Boy yeah, yeah 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 if it was one of them it would have been like well yeah like we didn't know what their were beforehand but like like i said earlier just they 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 show it and they really just showed so many little subtle subtle ways that like i feel like even on rewatch you could probably see more of just like how time is just so decayed i am a star i'm a star i'm a star i'm a star i am a big bright shining star who is the star of this movie tommy we didn't really touch on this that much. I mean, this is more of a, maybe not an actor or person, but I'd honestly say the soundtrack would probably be one of the stars of this movie. Think about it, like fucking Iggy Pop. You have uh, Lou Reed, Pulp, like just like so many like random cool 90s, like uh, Britannica stuff like this. This movie, uh, the soundtrack went like fucking gold in like America, fucking platinum three times in the UK. This was a huge deal. This is one of the things that people probably realize or remember more about the movie more than like probably maybe the most of the scenes well they're so intertwined i think it can if you watch the movie it can like i'm not going to think of that iggy pop song without thinking of ewan mcgregor running down the street 
it was so iconic. They even sh- they made an update in video for that uh, song to have it. Yeah, Danny Boyle like, direct. Danny Boyle directed it. Yeah, yeah. They interspliced like uh, what's it called train spine scenes within like the music video. So it was like kind of like one of those things that almost like the Kate Bush of its time. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's do this in two parts though, because the who's the breakout star of this? It's Ewan McGregor. He goes on to become this movie helped him get Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. We don't really need to. All the other guys have done stuff in the BBC and in that realm, but never really made mainstream breakout. The only other thing I've seen another actor of this in was Robert Cowell was in uh, 28 Weeks Later. So, <laughs> sorry, so, we're not going to cover that. <laughs> Who gave the best performance in the movie? I mean, I literally just mentioned him. I honestly think Robert Cowell. As Big B? As Big B, yeah. I, yeah. I think that he was like, just so charismatic, even though he knows the character is a piece of shit. He still just had so many, just like the guy, like, was the character that always owned the realm. He was such a piece of shit, but he reveled in the fact that he was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, when he crashes at Ewan McGregor's and he, he's like, he's like, need a pack of cigarettes. And then he just opens, like, like, because he's like on the run, so he can't go out and do anything. So Renton has to go and be his errand boy or him emptying out a dish full of coins, being like, go to the bookie. Put it on the 60 to 1 long shot, right? And even up through the end, like the intensity with the money. They, so the end is they land into two ounces of heroin, which is worth like roughly six. They sell it probably worth 20,000 pounds. So close to that's close to like 40,000 American. And if you like, so they get it sold down to 16 in this drug deal because the guy is like, yeah, these are bit players that stumbled onto a to a score of a lifetime like i can give them whatever price i really want that's within the realm of because what are they going to do steal it on the street right like it's just not going to happen and they're in the bar and this is when you start to realize that that renton is he's thinking of running away like he's he's ready to make the move he's ready to thing he says to spud like why don't we leave because he's like sick boy would fuck us over if Big B thought of it, he'd fuck us over. Why shouldn't I fuck them over? And Big B gets into a bar fight and is like, Rent, bring me the bag. And he like brings in the bag. And then Renton escapes with the bag when they're out cold sleeping and, and only only Spud sees him looking on the floor, like almost paralyzed at the thought, but like also in his way, like understanding that Renton is doing the right thing. And Rent yeah does the right thing and gives Spud his share. Only Spud. That's the only person he gives the money to. Because the other two are just fucking too erratic, too fucking just like uh, unchained. It, it was the right choice. <laughs> it was absolutely the right choice to cover the ending. Yeah, I think it's between you and McGregor and Big B, but I mean, it's a great ensemble and I think everybody kind of gives like a pretty dynamite performance. I'm, I'm curious to see what the sequel is because uh, like one of our friends was saying last night when we were watching it, that he heard that the sequel was god-awful and one of the worst movies. Granted, he hadn't seen it either, so I'm curious. I, I looked it up. It got good reviews at the time. I mean, it came out five years ago. I read a synopsis, and it, it, it actually sounds pretty interesting, to be fair. Yeah, I guess, well, it, the movie ends at a point where, like, you would want to know, like, what happened after he took the money. I, so, I Yes and no. I mean, with Danny Boyle, I think it was Danny Boyle and the same screenwriter were involved in it. Uh, yeah, John Hodge and they had Irvin Welsh, the author of, of the book. Like they based it very loosely on the sequel called Porno because they didn't think yeah. the, the book was as good. But like they had all three of them collaborate on it. 
I think you might have a, a solid, a pretty solid sequel for something like this, but I'm also fine just letting it end with him walking on that bridge, talking about why he should choose life. Yeah, I, 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 it leaves a kind of open-ended uh, way that would be the way it ends with the sequel. I mean, I guess kind of ruins that, but I mean, there's one of those things that just like, you know, so many movies that like have sequels 10 years, 20 years later, like that are just like unnecessary, but and then this way it feels like it would be good. Like if we had a sequel to like, I don't know, like Inception, for example, or like Total Recall, it yeah, ruin right. the first movie. Well, this is about even though it's it's fantastical, it's about like there are real moments and it there is real drama and real situations that happens to these people. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I'd also want it to be in a different style, a different pace, right? Like they're 25 years older. I don't need the manic energy of them on drugs. Like, like yeah. it, it probably has to be a little bit slower. Maybe we'll watch it and we'll talk about it. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time ever, I think you and I are both going to be in agreement on this. Tommy, would this movie work as a Muppet adaptation? Fuck, like, I almost want to say yes, but, like, no. <laughs> no, uh, this is one I'm not, not even going to try to talk myself into being like, yeah, I want to see Kermit fucking shooting up, right? Like, no thank you. Like, I don't need to see, I don't need to see AIDS patient Fozzie Bear, right? Like, Fozzie <laughs> was the... Away. <laughs> Fozzie was, the, yeah, just losing fur continually, no, right? It, it, but it is, but it's just, like, you see, like, stuffing, like, from the puppet coming out, like, slowly, like, as Fozzie gets, like, deeper and deeper into the heroin addiction. <laughs> yeah, no, this, <laughs> this one would not work as a Muppet adaptation, like, fully would not work. And Disney, yeah. this is why we'll make you the big butts, because we're yeah. not going to edit train spotting to, to Muppets. Occasionally we say fuck no to Muppet adaptation. <laughs> and this is a good case of that. But Tommy, review time. Give me your score. So first time watching this, uh, I found this uh, at some points a fun little movie with the soundtrack and everything like that. And the party scenes were really cool and stuff. Um, I think almost a nice companion piece to like SLC Punk. You know, it doesn't pull its punches with like how hard like you know the drug use can be. And it really shows it and frames it in a great way of through the character of Tommy and other and McGregor and everything like that. Uh, I'm gonna go with 4.5 out of five. Uh, I wish the soundtrack was on Apple Music, but I can't find it. And it's a bummer. <laughs> well, that's on you for having Apple Music, Tommy. Really, it's not on Spotify it. either. I'm sure if I, if I look. <laughs> so for me, I think this is a pretty brilliant film, tackling heroin. You can go Requiem for a Dream, or you can go this, and Requiem for a Dream is a miserable, miserable movie. It's great, but it's miserable. This one is somehow able to keep a breath of levity throughout it, which I think will keep an audience more engaged and really has no problem holding back the punches. It shows a lot of clever, creative filmmaking in terms of like the, the drug use and like the, the effects of people go through. Just it's... It's not scared to pull punches. It's got engaging characters, albeit they're all terrible people. But when you're not really introduced to anybody better, it doesn't make that much of a difference. And when you're when a film is able to pull off a movie with this many just awful people, I find that to be pretty impressive. I'm going to echo your sentiments, Tommy. 4.5 out of 5. I can totally understand why this movie still stands the test of time and will continue to stand the test of time, in my opinion. So any final thoughts, Tommy? 
Uh, so once again, guys, thank you for listening. Feel free to leave us a five star review uh, on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we can also be followed on social media at Scenic Pod. That's on TikTok, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have a good month coming up, uh, Timmy. We're covering um, Unforgiven, as we mentioned. We're not going to skip it then next week. Dirty Dancing's coming up, and I think The Exorcist is coming up, yeah. right? <laughs> and The Exorcist. So we've got a fun month planned for you all. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.